Striving and Thriving is the career development podcast inspiring you to make some bold changes. It's time to sweat the big stuff. Each week, we speak to industry figureheads at different stages of their journey to understand what it takes to successfully manage your career. I'm your host, Laura Johnson, and today I'm lucky enough to have Tim Griffiths as my wonderful co-host. Today, we're thrilled to be joined by Keela, Employer Branding Leader. To get us started, can you tell us a little bit about your career background and your current role? Yeah, sure. So as you can hear from my accent, I'm from New York City. I graduated college or uni, as you call it here, in 2010, and I was selected to be part of the I guess what you'd call it now is a grad program at Xerox. It wasn't really called that then. And I had full-time employment right out of college, which was really rare for my friends. I went into sales environment, loved it, but like super cutthroat, a bit of a boys club, but I loved work. And I think maybe like two years into working there, one of my friends was a recruiter at a tech company. And she said, we're looking for more salespeople would you want to apply? And I thought, no, like I love Xerox. I, you know, I worked here every summer in college. I thought that people stayed at the same company forever because that's what my mom did. I just had no idea, but I applied, went for the interview. And at the first interview, this guy came to the water cooler with like blue hair, tattoos, wearing jeans and a t-shirt, Converse sneakers. And I thought, oh my God, people can be themselves at work. This is crazy. This is insane to me. Needless to say, I took the job and actually grew at that company, raised my hand to take on a few other opportunities there, which turned into digital marketing, community management. actually met my husband there when they acquired an Australian company. So I met him on his first day, (laughs) married him. (laughs) And we came to Australia about seven years ago. And I found it really hard to get work. I'm actually really vocal about this. My first year applied for like 26 jobs, only was able to interview at two, one of which was Australia Post. And I started on their social media team, grew the consumer brand, social media leadership team. And this woman by the name of Rebecca Houghton tapped me on the shoulder on my second day and said, we need to do an audit of our career assets, our career website, our social media. Can you help me do it? So I did this little neat package for them, presented it, and then didn't hear back for a few months. Then I got tapped on the shoulder by this lady, Rebecca Houghton, again, six months in. And she said, we're doing this thing called EVP. Would you want to be part of this working group? So I had no idea what any of this was, like still thought she was this crazy HR lady that kept asking me to come to meetings. And I'm so happy I said yes, because I was part of the research for the EVP Six months down the line, she taps me on the shoulder and says, great, we've got all this research. We need somebody that knows what to do with it now. How do we put it out into market? Do you know anyone? And what she was really asking was, do you want this role? (laughs) But I was really naive and just had no idea. But I said, yes. It turned into a secondment that quickly turned into a full-time role, which quickly turned into growing the team to five. After my first maternity leave, went to RMIT to do the same thing there, builds the team. And two years later, I'm still there growing employer brand for RMIT University. That's 11 years in a few minutes. (laughs) Wow. That's a whirlwind. (laughs) Yeah. I love the employer branding side, particularly, because I think it's such a hot topic right now. And it's something that people are really paying attention to. 
I think especially over the last few years with everything that's happened before COVID, it was like, how do we get the right skills? Now it's like, well, we can't ship in skills. So what do we do about it? And people are really paying attention to what they're saying about companies and who they are and how that comes through. I guess like being so early on really at Australia Post, how did, um, as like any key learnings there that you can share with everybody around it? Yeah, I think what we learned at Australia Post was a truck driver once out of work is very different than top digital talent. And you need to treat people in a very segmented and personalized way, just like you would with any type of marketing. Because I, you know, I come from consumer world where you treat everyone very differently. I think what I've learned at RMIT is to not just treat people by their job family or their chosen profession, because as we know, that's changed so much Mm. just in the last 14, 15 months. People are just skipping and hopping into different career moves. You need to treat them based on who they are, whether that's their demographic which communities they belong to and really speak to their personal motivations, not just about what gets them out of bed to go to work every day. So on that, so for a company that's just looking at employee branding and hearing that and being like, where do you even start? Like, that's so much. Where would you start? What would you say to that? Ah, like the way that I train the talent team is to just ask better questions in the hiring manager brief. What I'm loving is that in the last four months, there's been so many employer branding roles out in market, whether it's at the specialist level or manager level, and you end up saving a ton of money having somebody in-house managing it. But for businesses that can't do that right now, just getting your recruiters to ask the hiring manager, why do you choose to work here every day? Mm. You know, if you thought about leaving, why? If you've thought about looking at other jobs, which websites are you using? If somebody were to join, what would you say to them? Why should they come here? And it's just asking those kinds of personal questions, but you end up attracting people for the right reasons instead of it just being for a position description or key selection criteria. I love that. That's great advice. And just makes so much sense just asking questions about who someone is. That's EVP research. Mm-hmm. Like everyone tries to overcook it, but it's asking. It's like why, EVP why 101. Sorry? EVP 101. Exactly. Why did you join? Why do you stay if you're thinking of leaving? Where are you thinking of going to? And how are you getting there? That's it. (laughs) I probably just like undersold myself a lot. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I think you're right. I think like with anything like that, I think with anything like that, it's it always comes down to something basic, but it's what you do with it after that, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's, you've got this really basic thing, which is just understand people, understand what motivates them. But then it's it's what you actually do with that, which becomes a difficult bit, right? So I don't think it is undercooking it. It's just being honest, what it is. Yeah. Anyone can do the research to a degree. The, the secret source is actioning what you do with the research. That's where the secret source is and what you do. Yeah, the implementation. Yeah. I think there's like nothing more yucky than nothing more yucky nothing yuckier than when you go on a career site and it's just like a rainbow of human beings at the top so that we make sure that they hit every diverse group and they've attracted their women and their people of color and this and that and blah blah blah. and you're just like that is so obvious and where's the authenticity Mm. so that implication is that I think that's the the difficult part is making it real. Yeah. Authentic is the word, is it? That's making it an authentic experience for someone. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I want to see people that look like me. I want to know that people that are in similar circumstances to my family makeup are already thriving yeah. in the workplace that right. I'm looking to join. 
Makes a lot of sense. We are just everyone's overcooking it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess going back to your career then, rather than if not, we'll end up on employee branding rant for the next half an hour. <laughs> it sounds like you've just kind of taken opportunities as they've presented yourself. How is there like, what was the thought process, I guess, from your point of view behind it? And then how have you kind of made the most of taking on those new opportunities and learning, growing into those new roles? I'm really grateful that I said yes to every opportunity that I've been tapped on the shoulder for. I don't know if it's like an innate personality trait for me to just overextend myself a little bit, but I guess historically that has been me. I think that might've changed just a little bit since having a kid. My priority is getting on that train home so that I could pick her up from childcare. But yeah, I'm, I think I'm, I'm just like a, a yes person, probably to my detriment. <laughs> but I've always worked for organizations too that have really believed in internal mobility, have believed in developing their own versus just going out into market and getting, bringing new people in. They see the value in the IP that a, an employee has. So for example, the tech company that I was talking about is Live Person, still one of the best cultural experiences that even now when I'm building employee experiences, I think back to working at Live Person and I always use them as an example. And that's significant because that's an eight-year-old experience that I still call on. So that's how far forward thinking they were at the time. And they realized that, you know, I had two years of working with our customers under my belt. I knew what they needed. So it was easy for them to give me some of the skills that I needed to get up to spec with being community manager and working in digital marketing because I already had the heart of it, which is Mm. knowing who our customers are. So yeah, I I think it's, you know, just as much as me being a lunatic and saying yes, as it was working for the right companies that saw something in us. I think you're the second person to this. It's like, I just said yes. And then I worked out afterwards. Yeah. (laughs) I was also working on a global team. So with Israel, the company was an Israeli company. So we had a team in Tel Aviv. So I was used to working weird hours. Mm. So I was used to maybe starting a little bit earlier, ending a little bit later, logging on, but they were my friends. So it was easy to want to do that. And I think that attitude just stayed with me when I moved to Australia. I so... I was so desperate to build that relationship again that I loved so much in my previous company. Immigrant in a new country. My only friends were my my then boyfriend, who's now my husband, his friends. So I like, was desperate to like make my own way. And I think that probably played a role in saying yes to a lot of stuff. Absolutely. I guess, what would your advice be if you could look back and there's someone that's now starting out in kind of employee branding or something similar to what you're doing? What would you give it as a piece of advice for those guys? I would just soak up all of the free resources that there are. I saw that you just released Andrea Kirby's Strive In podcast this morning. So I haven't had a second to listen to it yet, but she is incredible. Like her events are awesome. She always has the best people. And this talent community, we are incestuous and in love with each other, but there's so much sharing. Mm. So just like get a part of it. I think Hung Lee is also incredible his weekly newsletters. He's got the live sessions that you can tune into. Just learn because employer branding is so... Like we're behind in Australia. We've got like seven to 10 years to gain on the UK and the States. So there's just so much stuff that you can learn just by getting these free resources. Yeah, I am a big fan of Andrea. You'll like her podcast. There was lots of editing, as she'll tell you. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I wonder why. I feel like <laughs> she but probably it, cursed as much as I do. <laughs> I think it was that and her kind of different rants about different things. But it was it was great. Yeah, I do. I really want to get hung on to a podcast sometime soon because I think just how he's built his community and how open he is about things. Just like even now, he's kind of recently split the newsletter, but is telling everyone how he's doing it as he's doing it. Yeah. So it's like you're really on that journey with him, not just in terms of content, but in terms of how things are going. And I find it really, really invaluable. I think that's the best kind of like leader and like industry leader and actual people management type leader is when you get one version of somebody. Mm. And I know that the hung that I see at a pub is going to be the same that I read about in newsletters, the same that I see on Facebook. It's the same, 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 same. And it's the same with Andrea um, and so many more leaders that we have in our community. You just get one version. It's so refreshing. It's going back to them being authentic again. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's just one version of somebody. And also, like, because I haven't heard the podcast, I haven't heard any of her rants today, but like, she just keeps it real. And mm. I think that's so cool. Like, she'll tell you exactly how she feels. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we all need that sometimes. Yeah. It's the Australian way, just being like casual. I love that. Yeah. I think that was an interesting bit on her podcast, actually, saying taking that Aussie kind of personality trait when she first went to the UK and she didn't realize that things would be quite so different. So she walked into yeah. a law firm <laughs> and was just really kind of forthright and honest with people and said, everyone just kind of stared at her like, who is this woman? And why is she talking to us this way? This is fiery redhead. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I think I would have loved to have been a fly on a wall in that situation. I imagine yeah. it would have been like complete whirlwind and no one, no one would have experienced anything like it before and it just all kind of scared, stared at her. But she said like, in the end, that's exactly what worked for her because she just was who she was and it didn't mm. matter whether she was talking to a receptionist or a partner it was you know we're going to treat everybody the same way and um, and speak to them the same way yeah I think you know she like built her castle there and I remember a few years ago when she moved back like the reverse culture shock that she had coming back after having this vast network in the UK and Europe and having to grow that again. And it just feels like five, six years down the road happened in a flash because she's built an empire here. Mm, she really has. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. This is the Andrea show. I know. So <laughs> we'll just find that. I'm going to send her this clip later. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Going back to your career, looking back at it now, do you think you'd do anything differently if you could do it again? I would be careful who I ask advice from. And I like use that in my personal life now, not just in my professional life, but everyone has their baggage. Everyone has their story too. And not everyone has had the same experiences as you. So for example, when I was thinking about moving to Australia, my family absolutely lost it. Like they couldn't believe that this like nice Jewish girl from New York City was going to move for this Italian guy in Australia that she only knew for a year, blah, 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 blah. And I had the same experience when I wanted to leave Xerox, this multinational, huge organization for this like little tiny tech company that my mother had never heard of. And so asking my mom, who'd been at the same law firm for 27 years, what her perspective was, of course, she said that I was crazy for doing it. But because I said yes, and I took that leap of faith in so many situations in my life, I'm here today. Mm. And it's just, you got to be careful who you ask advice from. <laughs> or who you listen to. Yeah, I really... guess you can take advice. It's whether or not you put it into action, Absolutely, right? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so I guess on that, what do you think, if you had to sum it up, what's the best and worst advice that you've had? Ooh, <laughs> I feel like we're going to get really deep and personal here. <laughs> now, uh, yeah, don't name names. Worst advice. 
Yeah, no, probably the worst advice would be to stay at Xerox. While I loved it there, I don't want to like get like a a defamation lawsuit sent to me. I loved working at Xerox. But if I would have listened to my mom, I would have just stayed there and I would have been on the same career trajectory in sales, which is just so different than what I've been Mm. able to build here. Never would have met my husband, never would have tried two or three different career journeys just mixed into one. And employer branding, what would that be? I wouldn't even know that it existed. I wouldn't be this weird HR lady. (laughs) Yeah, I think the sales to marketing to HR is definitely an interesting journey. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But definitely, it feels to me some similar kind of traits going through just exactly what you're saying before about just really understanding who you're talking to and why you're talking to them and what matters to them. Like it's essentially kind of sales, marketing and HR, isn't it? Like it, it kind of just feeds through. I remember having a meeting at Australia Post with one of like the heads of HR. And now I feel like a total dick for saying it. Like I constantly replay this meeting in my head, probably weekly. And I remember telling her like, oh my God, this is what you do in HR? I had no idea. I thought you like hire and fire people. And she was like, yeah, you loser. You know, we build these experiences. We do this. We've got diversity and inclusion, yada, yada, yada. And I just remember that day of just having this awakening of, holy shit, that's what HR Mm. is, or at least what it could be. And we've got a lot of work to do to change that perception in the market of what human resources actually is. I think your perception is the pretty standard perception, realistically. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like I think it is. It's just like, that's the department that tells people off. And if HR asks you for a meeting, you're instantly like, oh, what did I do? Am I going to lose my job? What have I done? (laughs) (laughs) And it's not the other stuff that once you get into it, and some companies like Australia Post are a great example, they're doing so much more around that. And I really just try to tailor experience. Like you say, um, what did someone explain it as the other day? A colleague experience, which I really liked. And I like the idea. Yeah. And I like that kind of idea of colleague experience. So I think that's the bit that people miss and you don't think about. You're just like, oh, HR are going to tell me off or they're going to fire me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like make a policy that I don't actually fit into. Yes. And then tell me why I've broken it. <laughs> yeah. Have you had any career mentors along the way? Yeah. So I've had, obviously, Rebecca Houghton. She was my, so obviously, she helped me get these opportunities in employer branding, became my direct manager. And now in the last three years, she started her own business while not like formally part of her coaching program. She is somebody that I always rely on because she's helped me grow in this industry. But then there's people that I also aspire to be as creepy as that kind of sounds. But (laughs) Christine Corbett, who's now I think at AGL, she was at Australia Post and she was the chief customer officer when I was there. When I was part of the social media team, I helped her build her social media presence on Twitter and LinkedIn as well. But she's just somebody that always was so well put together in the media. Like physically, she just was always dressed to the nines. And then when you actually peel back and understand her family life and her family life and her professional life, she started at Australia Post like in her 20s working on the PR team and worked her way up for 20 plus years to get to the C-level. And she didn't stop until she was at the very top. She was even offered the CEO role before Christine Holgate had joined. And I just thought that was such an incredible journey to think about the internal mobility that Mm. one person had gone through. And she's also a mom of two. You know, she's got the family life. She's got a husband. She's trying to make it all work. Plus the responsibilities of working at one of the largest organizations in the country. And I just always thought she was so impressive. And what I love about her 
is that she like still like knows all the little people, you know, like even on like my birthday on LinkedIn, she'll still like send me a message, like wishing me a happy birthday or checking in to see how I am. And that like means so much more to me than what she could ever know. So yeah, that's my little story about Christine Holgate. <laughs> I mean, Christine um, Corbett. <laughs> I love those stories though, because I think going back to it, like we were saying before, part of the reason we did this was to kind of highlight different people's career journeys and that there's so many different ways to the same thing. And I think that's amazing. You, you can imagine PR grads, you know, sitting in those roles, kind of looking around, especially an organization the size of Australia Post, knowing that someone has then got to C-suite from going from where they were must be incredibly inspiring but also just show you what can, what is kind of possible and what you're capable of. Yeah. I think like, you know, no one, not no one, but like people in our generation and the younger generation would like rather roll over and die than be in an organization, the same organization for 20 plus years. You know, yeah. let's be honest here, two, three years, they're ready to see how much more money they can make, what the next job title is that they can get. And I respect that. But just knowing that you can put in the hard yards now and it pays off and you can be part of the C-suite if that's your dream, seeing somebody do that and have a family, that's always been really attractive to me. Totally. Um, I think a lot of like, the female leaders that we see in the generation older than I am, they've had to choose. I've even heard people say, I know a lot of babies that weren't born because of this job. and I just love seeing that people have been able to have both. Yeah, it is incredible. I don't know how anyone does both. I don't stru- manage to, I struggle to do my washing each week and, <laughs> and have a job, let alone keep another person alive. Like I genuinely don't know. They, we do don't it. know what else is missing in their lives. I don't know. Maybe they don't do their own washing. But. <laughs> True. But I think Outsource. <laughs> yeah. I do think anyone that is having kids and has a career like that is incredibly inspiring. Like um, it does blow my mind a bit. I think going back to that point as well, like I think it's that point about internal mobility that keeps coming up as well. And just knowing that actually, if you've got an organization that's being open to it, you know, you don't have to move company every two or three years. You can move departments or move whatever, and you're still getting those same opportunities for growth. Yeah. Yeah. But I think you're right. Again, it's a perception thing, isn't it? And you don't hear anybody now that says, I've been somewhere for 20 years. It's like, oh, yeah, everything's kind of two or three years. But I think that's, again, the perception that you feel like you need to move on to get a pay rise and you need to move on to get a new opportunity. And I think um, there's a lot we could be doing around that. Yeah, absolutely. I think after the last year that we've had, it's the responsibility of these organizations to pick up their programs and get it going because we've had a year to contemplate what we want out of life. And there's going to be so many people leaving. I mean, we've heard it like every day, the last few weeks, there's been reports coming out about how it's like a talent first market, blah, blah, blah. And that was my experience, even just finding the replacement for my maternity leave for a 15 month contract when normally they're like less than 12 month contracts. I thought it was a really compelling offer at market. It was really hard to find the right person. And we did. It's a happy story, but it was much more difficult than what I would have thought because there's just so much choice out there. There's so many roles and it's a conversation we keep having. Just there's so many roles out there now. And I think you know, as much as people are, a lot of people are happy to move because we've had that realization about what we really want over the last 12 months. I think there's still that hesitation in some places that it's like, we don't really know what's around the corner either. So I think there's still a little bit of hesitation in the market and particularly like hiring in the UK and the US, that's what you're hearing. People don't want to move right now because they actually don't know what the next Mm. six, 12 months are going to look like. And we don't know what the return to work is going to look like in those countries. I think here we've come relatively unscathed with the whole kind of situation over the last 12 months and the return to work because we weren't in the office yeah touch one and we weren't we weren't stuck at home for as long as a lot of people have been that actually that transition hasn't been as difficult 
Yeah. But then I look at my best friends in New York City. They're like living like queens because no one else wants to live in New York City. One of my best friends just moved into this like luxury apartment building in Flatiron District. Has like the dog park across. Has like Italy restaurant right behind her. Like she's living her best life. But at what cost? You know, New York City still hasn't opened up. So we are very lucky despite having had lockdown to live where we live. Right. Just looking at time, I guess one last question to kind of wrap it up. Who would you like to hear from on the podcast? Hmm. I've been on this like go the last few years of, I want to hear from juniors. I want to hear what they think about what's like coming up. Like you go to these conferences and you hear from all the same people. They're incredible and they've got some insight, some forward thinking, but I want to hear like what people say on the ground. So that's not a person, but it's a challenge. Instead of getting the managers or the leaders, it's actually getting the people that report into them. Yeah. Seeing how they feel about. Yeah. 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 Or thinking like grads that have been in roles for like six, 12 months, we're like, what's the like reality versus perception gap? Like, what did you think working life was going to be like? And how did you think this was going to happen versus how are you feeling now? Would be quite an interesting one. Mm. I remember when I, it was like my first summer interning at Xerox and we were running a customer event at a baseball game and it was going to be like all day setting up, drinks, dinner, like really fancy in the suites. And I asked one of the managers and said, so what should I wear for this event? And he's like, oh, you know, like casual, like you normally wear to work, like to make fun of me because I like didn't realize you had to wear suits to work and all that kind of corporate jazz. That's like total BS now. But I just, like, I also play that in my head all the time about how he said, oh yeah, you could just like wear casual clothes like you always do. <laughs> it's the thing that you learn when you're a kid getting into work. So yeah, I think that would be a really funny episode i remember same sort of scenario as one of the first companies i worked for they had a ban on facial hair Mm. because it was deemed to be untrustworthy and now everyone's got yeah uh, it's it's ridiculous where you have to have the same look as you do in your security pass for your whole employment so like same haircut same hair color same everything and I just think that's like so crazy. I just don't know. Yeah. So weird. Going back to this HR that wrote that policy, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, probably. Gonna, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's how they get a bad we name. We really dropped the ball on that one. <laughs> might, might be right. It might Maybe that's why they get element of the bad name to say that's, you know, you must follow these policies and procedures. And all of a sudden you realise there is, the, the trick is in the HR bit. There's a human in there. That's mm. the important bit. Thank you so much for this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Want to know more about how to get ahead? Be sure to check out striving.io for career development tools and mentorships to guide you through. Striving and thriving. 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 Striving and thriving.